Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And wow, what about Afterpay? Attracting a 39 billion takeover from the US-owned Square. And it's a share price which has really spiked today, up 19%. And the action helped zip share price. It rose over 8% today. So what does a local Afterpay investor do? We look at the big story and a number of new age companies that might be good value, including Money3, OpenPay, Paladin Energy, and Kogan.com. We'll do this with Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners, Julia Lee of Berman Invest, Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report, and they've got Luke Smith from Osbill who thinks the iron ore price will fall, but does that mean that the BHP share price will fall? You must stick around for this interview. Well, that's the show. Let's kick off with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Joining me now is Julia Lee from Berman Invest on a day when the market hit a record high. Pete, what a day for the market, trading above 7,500 points for the first time ever. And of course, it follows hot on the heels of 10 consecutive months of gains for the ASX 200. And to give you an idea, if we see another gain this month in August. It'll be the 11th consecutive month of gains. And we haven't seen a run like that since 1942, 1943, <laughs> when over in the US, government spending was 55% of GDP because they were coming out of that post-war period. And of course, people were coming out of the military. So unemployment was starting to rise. So, you know, an incredible run for the Australian market and an incredible day today. Yeah, let's talk about after because You've been a fan of Afterpay in your investing world. Yeah, Afterpay, a takeover by Square. This is an interesting one. I think this is the biggest takeover on the Australian market ever, $39 billion. It is an all-script offer, though, so it will be um, in terms of Square shares rather than a cash consideration. And the deal is expected to be completed in the first quarter of next year. So there's a bit of time to go. Today, we did see Afterpay shares soaring 20% on the news. And for Afterpay shareholders, it will mean that they get a square script, but it will be uh, dual listed. The American depository receipts will be dual listed over here. So you'll be able to hold the shares in Australia, but have access to one of the largest payment companies in the world. Would you be a seller at, the, at this current price? Look, I, I think a, a merge company makes sense. I'd probably be holding here because Afterpay is going to keep its index inclusion by the looks of it. So it means that Square will be included in the ASX 20 index instead because, of course, a, uh, Afterpay is one of Australia's 20 largest companies. Mm, okay. So it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there was a bit of selling. I guess some people would have thought, well, I don't want to hold a foreign company, but still it's, it's an interesting uh, development. Let's go on to some of the stocks uh, I've been asked questions of uh, recently in our Boom Doom Zoom show. Uh, and the first one is Money3. Sure. Um, Money3, this is basically car loans. Um, so when you go to buy a car um, and you need to take it out a loan, that's really the core of what Money3 does. And I guess when you have a look at Money3, what they're looking at is a secured loan. Um, the good news is that 
the the outlook for cars at the moment is extremely strong. You know that if you went to try and buy a new car, there's a long wait. And if you were trying to buy a used car, the price has gone up substantially than what you would have paid two years ago. So a great outlook in terms of money three, they're going to benefit from the rise who want to be uh, driving cars rather than catching public transport, but also a good team behind them as well. So look, I think Money3 is looking good here. It is a smaller company, but a combination of, of good management together with some of these tailwinds, especially in terms of car sales coming through, I think is great for Money3. Okay, let's go to the next one, OpenPay, O-P-Y. Yeah, I mean, OpenPay came out with its quarterly updates, and I, I think in terms of the quarter, they did see uh, transactions up by 46% year on year. And while that all sounds great, you know, we're sort of used to seeing uh, sort of triple digit number gains coming through from some of the other buy now, pay later companies. This, this is really a buy now, pay later company focused in on the US as well as the UK. The US and the UK are expected to make up about two thirds of sales this year. Um, but on the flip side, side, um, if you have a look at that buy now, pay later space, it's all about scale and it's a ra race to get as big as possible, as quickly as possible. So Pete, I'd actually prefer to go with the big guns um, when it does come to buy now, pay later. And my preference would probably be to go with the biggest on the Australian market and that's Afterpay. Okay, let's go to the final one, Paladin Energy. Yeah, Paladin Energy uh, has been around for a long time. So you're looking at uranium and uranium has been one of these things in the past year. It's gone up, but it hasn't gone up as much as we've seen other commodities. For example, base metals is up around about 80% from the March lows last year. You know, iron ore prices have more than doubled. And then you look at uranium and it's up around about 20%. The good news is that uh, uranium is expected to be in deficit. So whenever you look at commodities, when you're seeing limited to supply and demand rising. That's actually a good scenario for commodities. So um, Paladin is a speculative one. There's not a lot of uranium companies which are listed on the Australian market and it is hard to get exposure, but um, a speculative buy, I'd probably put a little bit of money here given that uranium prices will likely increase over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I guess a, a worldwide economic boom will have a demand for that kind of resource, even though it's not fashionable and loved by the green movement. It's kind of an ironic resource, isn't it? Because it, it actually could help us use less fossil fuels, but the, the worries around um, nuclear energy are such that you just can't get many lovers out there. Yeah, I think China's still building a lot of nuclear power plants, but of course, you know, we, we've been through the experience of Fukushima over in Japan, which um, makes people a bit more weary. But of course, when we look at uranium, it, we, we use it in medical devices and equipment as well. So there is a medical use. But you're right, Pete, the main driver of uranium is through the power play. Um, and it is a, a greener energy, although people are looking to other renewable sources as well, given the Fukushima experience over in Japan. But look, demand is still rising and supply is tight. So I think that bodes well for prices. Final one, this is the one you like, and it kind of is surprising, Kogan.com. <laughs> I have to admit, Pete, you know, I bought a couple of things from Kogan in the past week. I bought a, a steam mop, which is fantastic for cleaning my hard floors. They've never looked cleaner. And I've also bought a standing desk, which hopefully will arrive next week so I can stand up while I'm working at home uh, rather than sitting down. But Look, I suspect many other people are in the same boat. I was speaking to a friend and they're looking at one of those uh, 
those robot vacuum cleaner uh, mops. And it looks like a lot of people may have been adding to their household appliances during this lockdown uh, or the mini waffle maker that's trending on TikTok at the moment. So look, Kogan, the last update was quite negative. They said they had too much inventory in the second half of the year and that led to higher warehousing costs and of course, trying to clear that inventory. But I'm guessing that given lockdown in July, August, and it looks like even it might even be to October, November, that uh, Kogan will be doing pretty well in this type of environment. So we started accumulating at $10.08 today. It finished the day at $10.40, and I think it's looking like good value at these levels. All right, Julia, as always, great to see you. And let's hope your, your tips are right. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. And that's Julia Lee from Berman Invest, and now it's time for Adam Dawes of Shoren Partners, and he too is going to look at the Afterpay story. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, it's been a good day for the stock market when a lot of the pundits thought it could have been a negative one because of the spread of the coronavirus worldwide, particularly this Delta strain. So uh, was it driven by overall market forces or was it driven by the afterpay takeover by Square? To answer these questions and more, we have Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much, Peter. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, look, uh, you know, it's an interesting way our market finished or, or, or you know, reacted today. Look, certainly uh, came out of the gates pretty, pretty, pretty quickly as far as the banks doing well, um, tech was doing well, consumer discretionary was doing well. The miners were a little bit subdued, but that was really the only sort of negative that we saw in our market today. And certainly Afterpay really lifting everybody's hopes, uh, potentially with more mergers and acquisitions that have been going on. And Afterpay contributed to about 16 to 17 points of the index today. Mm. So why don't we just talk through for people who may well be holding Afterpay um, uh, shares. Is Square, for example, buying the whole company? What's going to happen to people who are holding shares in Afterpay? Yeah, so it's a, it's a merger. So it's it's both of these guys getting together. Uh, Jack Dorsey, which is Twitter, has created this new company called Square. This company is uh, it's a very big acquisition that they're making for this, but they're basically going to be merging the two businesses together. And I think it's a natural fit for an online business being Afterpay and for that sort of millennial side of things. For Square, which is more sort of tap, you see these little squares on the on on the uh, counters and things like that. It's just a tap based machine. So putting them together, you've got your online and your physical delivery there going forward. Now, Afterpay has around about 16 million customers worldwide and has 100,000 merchants at the moment. If they do merge with, with uh, Square, that gives them a huge reach, not just in the US, but a global reach. And I think that's what they're looking for. But for shareholders that hold uh, Afterpay here in Australia, they'll either set up what is called a CDI which is a basically like a ResMed, where it will be traded on the Australian Stock Exchange as well as the US Stock Exchange. But I think over time, you know, maybe in 24 months, they'll probably get rid of 
uh, the Australian side of things because when you're doing more than 60% of your business overseas, you still have to do the SEC filings. You still have to do all the paperwork for the US side of things and Australia might just get left a little bit left behind. So for retail investors, you have to work out whether you want to hold international stock or not. And then you need to worry about currency and hedging and all these other things. So international is a bit tough for retail. You know, that's why we saw a fair bit of selling coming into Afterpay today or this afternoon. And there have been people just simply saying, I just want to take profits. I've done really well here. And I don't want to worry about what might happen in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And it has been a fantastic story for Australia. And it's been a fantastic story globally for the buy now, pay later sector. I think we've really, really done really well on that. So I think it's, it's, it's a real testament to Australia's ingenuity. Yeah, and one of the big question marks over companies like Afterpay and Zip was, well, you know, are they going to be sort of taken, are they going to be sort of absorbed or beaten up by these big players? But they really are takeover targets, aren't they? Well, very much so, because now you've got this consolidation in the space. Now you've got, uh, you've got a lot of players, a lot of smaller players uh, in the space, which are doing well, but are trying to find their own little niche inside of this buy now, pay later sector. And so, yeah, you, you're naturally going to have this consolidation, whether it's the, the bottom end or with Afterpay at the top end, there's always going to be that consolidation. Regulatory issues are going to always be there, but certainly, uh, you know, it's a fantastic result today. So Zip did well today, um, and Zip was a, a pretty much a, a well-shorted stock. What's your take on that then? Yeah, well, first of all, we want to get all the shorters out of uh, Zip, Peter. So this is the first, uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be a Harvey Norman. We're going to we're going to we're going to send it to the uh, send it to the, the the shorters. We want to get them all out because it's a fantastic business. Look, I think Zip, if Afterpay does leave Australia and does uh, you know go over to the US, that means Zip will be the number one player in the Australian market, and that's really fantastic. We have seen some selling in Zip today, but it really I mean the stock's still up eight nine percent today on the back of this, and I think it will continue to go on on that because we've. Also got Klarna in there. We know that they've taken a three to four percent stake on Zip. Uh, we know um, Amazon has a stake in also Zip as well. So there are some there are some big players in this space, and there are some other players that will be wanting to to muscle on in onto that action as well. And I think Zip is a really good target for that as well. But yeah, let's try and get rid of the shorters. Do you think Amazon's big enough to take over Zip? <laughs> yeah, I reckon, it, they, I reckon they do all right. I reckon they do okay on that one. <laughs> that's a market joke. Okay, I asked you to look at a couple of stocks that we've asked questions that we're asked questions of in our Boom Doom Zoom show for our Switzer Report subscribers. And one was a company called Money Three M N Y. I didn't know much about it. Yeah, look, what a difference a couple of years can make on this one. This one's a, a, a actually a really good story. I own some of my super funds, so I've got to put put it out there that I do own some. Uh, the, the company actually came and upgraded just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're looking for a net profit of around about 36 million. They've upgraded that to 38 million. Uh, look, it, it's a really good business. It's a really good technology business. I'm sort of really comfortable with it. Um, you know, I, I think that these kinds of businesses will do well. I think they're in the sort of more automotive space, that kind of thing that they, they do, but positive momentum upgrade and confidence from the market. They've had a couple of acquisitions that they're betting down at the moment, which seem to be working in the right in the right space for them. So, look, I'm really comfortable with this one, and I, I like recommending it to clients. Okay. And what does it mainly do? What's its main profit center? Yeah, so it's a, a subprime borrower in Australia, but specialises in secured loans for secondhand vehicles. 
Now we know that secondhand vehicle market has gone absolutely ridiculous because yeah, it true. takes six months to get a new car delivered and people need cars straight away sometimes. Uh, and that's why that secondhand car market has done. So non-secured loans for the automotive businesses or automotive loans. Let's go to the next one, OPY, open pay. Well, here's a classic example of how the, the sector might consolidate in, you know, in this smaller area or in this smaller side of things. We at Durham Partners have got a buy recommendation on this uh, with, with a price target of $3.50. So look, it certainly it got hit today and has been continued to be hit. It's currently around about $1.17, $1.20. Um, but we're seeing good momentum coming through in their verticals. Now, verticals isn't just retail, which is what Afterpay or Zip is in. This is, is also in um, healthcare, um, veterinary bills. Um, there, there's so many other verticals, travel, that you could use the buy now, pay later side of things for them. So the key takeaway is the metrics are all strong. Uh, we're seeing good quarter on quarter growth. Um, we really like this one. It's, it, it, it's about their cash burn and they're trying to sort of, you know, sort of reduce that cash burn a bit. But with a $3.50 price target here at Shores, we've got to buy. I really like the story. Okay, finally, Paladin Energy. Someone must be looking at our research, Peter, because uh, this one we also cover and we've also got to buy on it as well. This one was the 56 cent price target. But Paladin is probably your biggest and best in our market for uranium. And uranium is one of those metals or those, uh, is it a metal? Uh, it, it has been left behind. This resource. In case your, sci your science and your, um, your uh, geology knowledge isn't quite great, let's just call it a resource. Resource, I think we should, because there, there will be people emailing you saying that guy is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, so Paladin is uh, looking, has started this uh, Langer Heinrich uh, mine in Namibia, and that's one of the biggest uh, behind Cigar Lake in in Canada uh, for being uh, getting that to get that restart. And we assume that'll be about 2023. Previously, they mothballed it because the uranium price wasn't doing any good or wasn't going anywhere. Now the uranium price is starting to get moving. I think Pallet is, is, is a high-risk stock in a high-risk sector, but if you're going to buy any one of those stocks, Paladin is the one, and we've got to buy it with a 56-cent price target. And we should say, for all three we mentioned today, are not what you might call blue-chip core stocks, but they are ones that have potential. They might not be realised in the short term, but maybe in the long term they will, but it's a risky investment. Absolutely. You must always seek professional advice before doing anything. Yeah. Do you know any professionals who know stuff about stocks? Maybe. Maybe. Adam Bell's Sharon Partners. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. And that was Adam Dawes from Sure and Partners. And joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. Paul, thanks for joining us. Now, you, I'd love you to have, give me your take on this Afterpay story because one thing you and I have often talked about because you're always wondering what the potential was for Afterpay. And I always pose the question, I wonder if they could be taken over. We, we both kind of thought they were getting too big, but we've been surprised, haven't we? Well, I think we've always given credit to Afterpay to what they've done, Peter, to be the category leader, not only in Australia, but also what they've done in the US. Mm. And you've got to give them credit for the price they've extracted. I mean, if you look at the, the multiple of, um, of gross profit or, or revenue, as they describe, 
it's something like about 77 times uh, last year's gross profit and about 40 times the multiple of this year. So that's a pretty big multiple of enterprise value to, uh, to revenue and um, congratulations to the team. So look, I'm not surprised that someone like Square is interested in their business. It's just that, uh, you know, I think, I think it's a great credit to the founders of the, of the, of the company. Mm. Do you think if you're, if you're were an investor, Paul, would you be inclined to sell out or, or stay in there and, 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 sus and suspect that S Square will actually help Afterpay become bigger and even better? Well, look, I think it's a pretty full price. Um, and I guess the trouble with it, uh, shareholders for Afterpay have, Peter, is that they're getting paid in share script, so they're going to get about three-eighths of a share of a Square share for every Afterpay share they own. And they've got some currency risk in the meantime because uh, both the market and the exchange rate can change. So it's going to be some time till they actually cement the deal. And I guess that's why uh, compared to the nominal or the notional value of, of allegedly around about $126, we saw Afterpay fall today and it closed around about 115 So it was pretty much a one-way trade. Lots of people selling out. I mean, I think Square is a great company led by Jack Dorsey. He's a guy behind Twitter. Um, certainly got a great product, uh, had that in place in a number of markets. But you'd have to say it's pretty fully priced and uh, maybe the smart money is time to say, well, this is time to cash, cash in the chips. Yeah, and a lot of people selling also would-be fund managers who are going to take their profit um, and also then maybe sit and wait. And if, if the share price comes down, there might be a buyer again because clearly, you know, Square clearly rates Afterpay as being a, a pretty good company. Well, you might recall, I mean, I have to be honest and say, Peter, I've been bearish on Afterpay simply not because of the business it's doing and the way it's been set up, but just because of the pricing. Now, it shows that every there's a price for everything and, and Square's put money on the table in the form of script, not not cash. Um, and I guess you could say that the, share, the Square share price has also been pretty heady as well. Um, and that allows them to do it. So... Great move on behalf of Square, but I think for a lot of the afterpay shareholders that have been in from lower levels, this will come as a bit of a relief and a chance to uh, take some money uh, out of the market in that sense. And, and do you think this actually um, adds more value to Zip as a second player in the market, Paul? I think it does, Peter. I think Zip is um, positioned well in Australia and also in the US. I think that's, you know, we saw a rally in, in Zip shares today. Uh, it is the number two, at least locally, and I guess it's sort of uh, up there in the US. It's not number one. Um, but look, it, it makes it, I guess, a, a more attractive target for, you know, Square's competitors, other banks, also other payment companies like some of the big, uh, you know, people like Visa and MasterCard, yep. who ultimately, you'd have to say that, um, you know, the whole buy now, pay later uh, is potentially a bit of a threat to its business. Yeah, no doubt. You know, today in the Switch Report, you, you wrote about AGL. And a lot of people ask us about AGL. Well, what's your, your, your bottom line conclusion, Paul? Bottom line, Peter, I think it's probably in bias. Now, I've resisted writing about AGL and talking about AGL for months because it's been uh, a steady decline. It's, it's in the sort of AMP category in terms of share price performance. Uh, back in early 2017, it was trading around $26, $27. The analysts were super bullish on the stock. Uh, on Friday, it closed at $7.23. So you've lost about 75% on that over the last three or four years. Basically been a one-way train down the whole period. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm always wary of the old 
you know, analogy about catching the falling knife, Peter, you wait till something bottoms, gets a bit of a base, uh, don't jump in in the meantime. I think AGL might be a little bit different because uh, I think the demerger uh, it's pursuing is interesting. And as we've seen with demergers, um, they tend to have a, a fairly good track record. And so I think that may lend market support uh, as it pursues the demerger over the next 12 months or so. Okay. So if people want to read more about that, go to the Swiss report, Paul, that done a good analysis of that particular company. And before you go, up, coming up after you, I've got Luke Smith from Osbill, who reckons that, that the uh, iron ore price is going to come off the boil over the next year or so. Uh, I, what do you think of that, that suggestion? And, you know, what's your view on BHP if the iron ore price should go down? Well, one thing I know, Peter, is that I've yet to meet a really good commodity forecaster, commodity price forecaster. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether an analyst, a broker, a fund manager, and I'm not bagging what he's got to say. So I really have almost given up trying to call where iron ore is. We all know it's in, in, in sort of, it's, it's a, you know, historic highs, uh, and you know it can't stay at this level forever, but that doesn't mean it's gonna fall away quickly. Always been worried about more production coming on stream, particularly out of Brazilian producer of barley. So I guess if he's worried about that, I'm probably a little worried too. I do have a like BHP, not for iron ore, Peter. I, I do think it's it's a well-diversified mineral, mm. a miner in terms of uh, its copper uh, and also its exposure to some other commodities. And so I think with BHP, you get more than iron ore, but if the iron ore price is to fall, uh, that'll put some pressure on BHP, but not as much pressure as would put on the likes of Fortescue and Rio. So I actually like BHP in preference to those other two companies, simply but think it's more diversified, has better assets. Uh, and I think there's less risk in, uh, in BHP than perhaps owning either Rio or Fortescue. Okay, Paul, thanks for that. And uh, if people want to know what Luke Smith has to say about BHP and its share price in the future, st stick with us and go to our next little interview with Luke Smith. Thanks, Paul. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Okay, so uh, tell my viewers approximately where the iron ore price is now and where you see it over the next year. Yeah, sure. Um, look, our iron ore prices are you know, roughly at $200 a tonne now at the moment. Um, to my point, that's an exceptionally you know, strong level, you know, especially where they were a number of years ago at that $60 a tonne range. Um, we certainly don't expect them to, to go back to that level at any time soon. You know, we expect them to continue to moderate from, from these levels. But the interesting point about that, um, and it's something that we continue to reinforce, well, while we expect the iron ore price to correct from current levels, we continue to see consensus earnings forecast to, to be um, too conservative. That the, the street, that the, the sell side analysts on the street you know, continue to forecast an iron ore price that is, is you know, far too weak uh, for, for the environment that we're presenting. So, so we're presenting an iron ore price where, which is coming off 
but an environment where earnings continue to be upgraded for the major Australian miners, supporting earnings, supporting cash flow, and ultimately um, you know, supporting capital returns that your, your, your um, listeners would, would obviously And, and do you guys on. believe that, that those kind of scenarios that the miners clearly have been, you know, telling the market about? Uh, from what perspective? Well, you, you, are you expecting uh, mining companies' earnings to still be strong despite the fact that the, simultaneously uh, iron ore prices will be on the slide? Yeah, yeah. Look, we're obviously going through a super normal period at the moment. Um, BHP and, and Rio's earnings are, are, are dominated by iron ore as a start, and, and so clearly that that's driving extremely strong earnings. Um, but but um, you know the, the market, you know, so the sell side analysts are, are forecasting a significant decline in in iron ore prices. So, so too aggressive a decline in in, um, in earnings outlooks and. And ultimately, we we see you know that that moving up, and, and ultimately, you know we, you know that's the key driver for share prices for, from our perspective. So it's a strange environment where we expect iron ore prices um, you know to moderate from current levels, but arguably the, the big Aussie miners could still outperform you know through that period as we see these earnings upgrades. Okay, so I'm going to put put you on the spot, Luke. You know you can't be a star and, and not be um, pressured, mate. Um, so. Given that, yeah, and let's just say what well, BHP share price is around, what's it now, 60? Early 50s. Hmm? Early 50s. Early 50s, yeah, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're six months forward. I'm a big holder of BHP. That's wishful thinking. All right. Now, and why I'm thinking 60, I know why 60 is in my head, both Macquarie and Ordmanet, um, they have a $60 price target on BHP, uh, that's where the 60 came from. It's more around 50, right, 52, 53 or whatever. Um, other, other analysts have it falling, I guess, like you might, but where do you think the BHP share price will be in a year's time? Oh, look, I, I can see a scenario where it's higher. Uh, right. you know, I, I, I won't, you know, won't outline a price number specifically uh, for you, but, but um, look, it's a really positive backdrop for resources at the moment you know iron ore is one component and and um you know i've touched on that and that's a major driver for bhp's earnings and, and ultimately to my point i still see earnings upgrades coming through from, from iron ore because the the street remains too conservative but, but there's more more to bhp's business than, than just iron ore mm. iron ore you know, met coal, you know, petroleum, uh, both, both of those commodities have been, you know, very strong, um, you know, over the course of the, the last couple of months, but over the course of, um, you know, this recovery that we've seen over the last 12 months. And and on top of that, they've also got copper and, and you know, we see, you know, real opportunity in copper and likelihood that copper continues to strengthen as well. So, mm-hmm. so one aspect is, is iron ore. You know, sure, we're, we're expecting iron ore to fall. Arguably, though, that is the backbone for BHP. And then these other core commodities that that um, you know we think are at the early stages of, of um, you know continue to support earnings and continue to strengthen as well. Do you think BHP is going to be helped by its commitment to being more ESG friendly, and therefore fund managers will uh, possibly like them more today than they did say two or three years ago? Yeah, look, there's a couple of ways to come at that question. Um, you know, all, all of the um, the major 
uh, sort of producers have looked to exit the um, the less you know friendly you know sort of components of their portfolio and you know thermal coal you know is, is the starting point you know we've seen you know sort of exit by Rio Tinto and, and now an exit by BHP out of out of thermal coal or, or looking to, to exit in, in, in the near term um, you know obviously some question marks as to whether or not petroleum sits within um, you know BHP on a longer term basis and and um, you know, arguably it doesn't um, you know it doesn't from a, a company standpoint and it doesn't from an investor standpoint but um, you know that, then there's the aspects that feed into um, metals demand around decarbonisation you know you cannot have decarbonisation without metals it's, mm. it's as simple as that and, and components of BHP's portfolio feed into you know, decarbonisation, um, you know, if it's copper and nickel and the implications around demand for um, around electric vehicles, um, you know, most importantly, if it's, um, you know, potash, you know, another project that they're looking to potentially move forward with as well that, that feeds into some of these, these themes as well. So there's a couple of ways to answer that question. Ultimately, I think the, uh, the portfolio mix will continue to improve over time, which will you know, make it more investor friendly around fossil fuels. And then you know, that theme around decarbonisation certainly isn't going away and, and metals are core to it. And what's your view on BHP's link to Tesla, a deal that was recently announced? Yeah, I think it just reinforces that um, you know, some of these base metals are core to um, the electric vehicle revolution. Nickel's not a major component of BHP's portfolio. It's a great headline. I think it reinforces the the overall theme around electric vehicles, and, and you know it, it's real. Uh, you know the acceleration that we've seen in EV penetration, both in China and, and Europe last year around the green stimulus post COVID. You know, fed into you know really significant step up in, in EV penetration rates. That's great for um, you know, base metals demand from from an incremental standpoint. You know, if it's copper and and you know, probably more importantly, nickel, as you highlight with um, with that Tesla deal with BHP, but but it's even more important with these um, these you know, purer demand commodities that that um, that that aren't as uh, far removed and, and and have such more materiality in terms of EV mm. demand growth, lithium, cobalt, graphite, uh, manganese, um, yeah. you know, important as well. But clearly, you know, BHP doesn't have exposure to those commodities. Yeah. So, and, and, and the point is also electronic vehicles use copper as well, which to me makes me think, well, copper historically is sort of like a, a, a demand global boom type um, resource. But if it's going to have a, a much stronger role in this sort of structural change in the car industry, that's going to be good, a, good for copper prices, I would have thought. And even a company like Oz Minerals, that's pretty long on copper. Do, do you see it that way? Yes, spot on, Peter. Um, let, let, let's start with with demand backdrop. Um, you know, I sort of touched on China, um, but you know what we're seeing in the rest of the world as we've seen a, a restock, and then the implications um, of one of monetary stimulus, and, and then ultimately fiscal stimulus feeds into a really positive backdrop from a demand perspective for. Um, Consumption-related commodities, let, let's call it. You know, copper. Copper is one of those from our perspective. And then for, for the last decade, you've seen no investment or modest new investment in in new copper mines as well. So you've got this backdrop for a commodity like copper, where demand is accelerating, 
and, and there's been a lack of investment in new supply. And, and then to your point, Peter, you, you've got the incremental demand drivers from decarbonisation, you know, specifically electric vehicles, you know, incrementally, you know, more demand that feeds into an electric vehicle, but also the, the transmission and recharging facilities feeds into incremental demand as well. So a commodity that generally grows at GDP plus now has you know, some, some uh, significant turbocharge in terms of you know, the, the, the outlook for it and, and we expect it to continue to strengthen. And that was Luke Smith from Oldsville. Interesting take, wasn't it, that even though the iron ore price might be on the way down, BHP's uh, profit and therefore its share price can go up. Interesting observation. That's the show for tonight. I'll see you on Thursday. Make sure you're there.